Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We take a bite of the Big Apple and some other things with Barry Wilner from Associated Press covers the National Football League. I don't know because uh, I don't I'm not around the guy all the time, but I'm wondering how Aaron Rodgers has changed uh, the kind of guy he is, because he seems uh, to be polite, a little out there sometimes. And I'm wondering <laughs> what the changes in him. I think what it is with Rogers is just a comfort zone in being whoever he wants to be. The problem is that changes a lot uh, off the field uh, on the field. He's still a terrific quarterback. I believe, I think that last season, the struggles green Bay had were as much about lack of receivers, some uh, coaching. You could doubt a little bit and Rogers not having his best season. I think he's going to be refreshed once he gets to New York. And that there seems to be very little doubt, but until the deal is done, uh, you know, we've seen this. You've seen it, uh, I have as well. When things happen at the 11th hour, that screws everything up. Uh, look, the Jets are making every effort with all the moves they've made. The, the signing of Hardman from Kansas City, uh, a one-year free agency deal. The trade of Elijah Moore to Cleveland uh, and a third-round pick to secure a second-round pick. I guess all part and parcel of making this deal uh, to make the trade with Green Bay. Uh, I'm just wondering if Green Bay is playing hardball because they can, or the Jets are willing to go along with whatever. Well, I don't think the Jets are willing to go along with whatever. I think they want this deal done certainly in the next week or so, because when they finally uh, begin their OTAs, they want to at least know that Rogers is in house, even if he's not physically in the house, because he rarely goes to the OTAs. But I think Green Bay is playing a bit of hardball, trying to get as much as they can out of the Jets. Um, I think the Jets are uh, in a position where they don't believe they need to give up a bunch of first round picks, let's say, or something as um, uh, uh, big in a trade as that would be. I, I do think that trade, uh, for Elijah Moore, which got the second round pick, that pick's headed for Green Bay, uh, probably with another pick. And I think this deal gets done pretty soon, uh, Howard. Uh, Barry, let's talk about, let me go back a little ways before Derek Carr joined the New Orleans Saints. My opinion, I thought that would have been a better fit for the Jets. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because of number one, the age difference 
between the two men. I mean, Derek Carr's 31, Rogers is 38, 39. Um, and you, maybe you could sign Derek Carr for five, six, seven years. Not so much with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but are we talking about Woody Johnson's feeling here? Because it seems to me that he wants, he's all in on, on Aaron Rodgers. Well, Woody Johnson is starstruck. He always has been. And go back to, you know, the days uh, of Brett Favre coming in, even if that was only for one year. So I'm uh, pretty certain that uh, Woody's had a very big role in this and uh, not necessarily a positive role in how everything has gone down. I think the Jets really needed to have um, a deal struck with Green Bay before they went out to California to uh, woo Aaron Rodgers. So I think there's been some issues there. Uh, but uh, as for Derek Carr, I agree. I, I thought the Jets would make either Carr or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo their number one target. But I think Woody stepped in and, and saw the possibility to get Rodgers for a year or two. And that's what he wants. Remember, Howard, and you know this very well, being a New Yorker, the Giants are the number one team in New York. And the Jets will never be the number one team in New York unless they have the star power and some success. And the Giants are on the rise. And I think Woody Johnson sees that. And I think some of this is a reaction to that. I'm wondering if in back of Woody Johnson's mind, or he doesn't even consider this, but two years working behind Aaron Rodgers, can that significantly improve Zach Wilson and make him a better quarterback to where he can learn from one of the best? Uh, or is that not even a consideration? I think it's a consideration for Robert Sala. I think it's a consideration for Nathaniel Hackett. And I think it's a consideration for Zach Wilson. And I actually think that's a wise move. Uh, Zach Wilson needs to mature. He needs to learn from a master. And I think that the offense, the uh, uh, team is putting in, fits perfectly for Rodgers and could fit very nicely for Wilson. And I do like the idea that the Jets are going to have Wilson as their number two. I know there's a lot of people who wonder about that. and Why not bring in uh, another veteran or try to re-sign Mike White? But I think this is the right way to do it once Rodgers is on board. And remember, generally, Rodgers plays a full season and plays well for a full season. Uh, and I don't think this is a one-year thing. I think it's a two-year thing uh, for Rodgers. So in that way, um, I like the construction of Rodgers backed up by Wilson. You look at the uh, wide receiver room for the Jets, the addition of Hardman, who's not only a wide receiver, he's also a kick returner. Uh, ergo, the uh, guy who's going to succeed, Braxton Berrios, who they released. Uh, so, and it's only a one-year deal. That that's, doesn't doesn't uh, apply at this particular point. But you look at that wide receiver room with Garrett Wilson uh, and uh, and Hardman and Lazard and Corey Davis, who I think may be on the move as well uh, at some point. They've got solid tight ends, um, but the one key problem the Jets need to fix is the offensive line, and I'm wondering if they'll deal with that. Uh, through the draft? Uh, I think unquestionably they will. And I think that first round pick is going to go that way. Um, there are other needs they have. There are a lot of people who think they may add someone to the really strong defense early because it's a very strong draft um, on defensive line. Uh, but I think you're right, Howard. I think they need to fortify that offensive line. You know, the whole Becton situation has really damaged them because they expected by now that he'd be on the same level as, say, Andrew Thomas with the Giants, and he clearly is not, and he can't stay healthy. 
So let me ask about, uh, I didn't mention the running backs. Uh, Brees Hall, who looked like a big-time running back before he got hurt last year, uh, he right now is, is the starting running back. Uh, any discussion at all about Ezekiel Elliott? That would surprise me. Um, I think the Jets, um, of course, Hall's coming back from an ACL. I think the Jets are really happy with their running back core. All three of the guys who played last year did well. And they did it behind a not very good offensive line and with terrible quarterbacking most of the time. So uh, I think they're okay, uh, um, maybe even better than okay, especially if Hall is healthy. Remember this, Garrett Wilson won Rookie of the Year offensively last year. But if uh, Brees Hall had stayed healthy, I think he would have won that award. Odell Beckham Jr., first thing (laughs) that comes to your mind is what? The greatest catch that I've seen live in years when he's with the Giants. Um, And then the number two is seeing him go down in the Super Bowl with that really badly torn ACL. I mean, he really damaged that knee. I I understand why teams are backing off from Beckham. First of all, he wants much more money than I think he's going to get. I don't think he wants the incentive-laden contracts that are being offered. And it's just impossible to think he's going to be a number one receiver right away when he comes back. So... I see why teams are not uh, jumping on signing him. I do think he'll be in a training camp and let's see where it goes from there. Have you ever in all the time you've covered the NFL seen so many questions about quarterbacks uh, like we've seen during this off season where no less than 13 teams uh, looking at either changing quarterbacks, improving that position or the uncertainty about let's just say a Lamar Jackson, for an example. Well, we'll get into the Jackson situation in a minute, if you don't mind. That That's totally separate type of deal. But a lot of teams are jockeying around because they realize that if you don't have Mahomes and you don't have a Jalen Hurts that you've developed and you don't have a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow, you're way behind uh, these other teams. And what we've seen is Buffalo build around Josh Allen and Cincinnati build around Joe Burrow and the great job that uh, Howie Roseman's done in Philadelphia um, with not even knowing what Jalen Hurts would be and now seeing he may have a superstar quarterback. Other teams are chasing that. And that's why we're seeing, uh, seeing this. Um, and we're seeing it also because some of the younger guys have not panned out yet. And it makes it very difficult to really build your program if you don't know what you have at quarterback. Let me point, I want to ask you this one, Howard. Because I'm going to point out a quarterback who did not develop right away, even though he's been to a Super Bowl, and now seems to have finally grasped what people thought he would be, and that's Jared Goff. That's the kind of quarterback that I think a lot of teams are hoping to find because it's so hard to find the really top-level one. Maybe you can find a guy like a Goff who eventually could be a top-10 quarterback and can help you win. That's the kind of thing I think what we may see around the league. All right, let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Teams can put an offer in uh, and offer him a contract. The Ravens have a right to match the offer. Uh, is he going to be a Raven come this fall, or is he going to be elsewhere? Wow. This one really throws me. don't think the Ravens are as enamored of uh, Jackson as they were getting hurt these last two years. I think that they would take uh, two draft first-round draft picks and let him walk. Um, but I'm not sure what team would offer that. And I don't think any team's going to offer him a fully guaranteed contract 
uh, at the length that he wants. I think the owners are really banded against that. They're very unhappy with what the Browns did with Deshaun Watson, who is not, uh, to me, on the level of a Lamar Jackson. So um, I, I would not be surprised at all if Lamar Jackson is somewhere else, even though the Ravens are a competitive team and likely a playoff team with him being healthy. I think the uh, Deshaun Watson contract really screwed things up royally for all teams. Uh, I mean, how do you offer this guy that kind of money uh, based on his, who he is, where he's been, what he's been into? I, I, to me, I just didn't understand where the heck the Browns were coming from. That was the only way they could win that competition was the guaranteed contract because otherwise he would have gone to either Atlanta or Carolina or New Orleans. He was headed to the NFC South. So that was the only way the Browns could win it. But then again, the everything that comes with him, all the baggage, the rustiness, and he did not play well last season when he came back. Um, I think there's going to be some growing pains again this season in Cleveland with him. So I agree with that. But remember, he's not the first quarterback who's gotten a guaranteed contract for a full uh, length of it. I mean, Kirk Cousins got it from Minnesota. Uh, and there wasn't quite as much outrage as there was when Watson got it. Of course, there's all that baggage. I talked about all the quarterbacks that are on the move. Jimmy Garoppolo now in uh, in Vegas. Uh, Derek Carr in New Orleans. Uh, and not, not only that, uh, Garoppolo, but the Raiders have been very active uh, during this offseason. I think uh, Jacoby Myers is now going to be playing for them. Uh, I mean, they they are very, very active uh, and I, I don't know how that's going to translate into W's. We'll find out, but I think they're going in the right direction. Well, they, they may be going in the right direction. I, mean, I like Garoppolo when he's healthy. I think he, he's a winner. I think he's proven that. You look at his record and been to a Super Bowl, been to an NFC championship game. So you have to believe that he can still do that if he's healthy. The thing about the Raiders is uh, I don't like the trade of, of Darren Waller. Um, I think that when he's healthy, he's one of the five best tight ends in the league. And Jimmy Garoppolo operates tremendously well with uh, good tight ends. He's done that his whole career. So I wonder about that. The Jacoby Myers uh, deal really struck me. $33 million over three years for a guy who's probably a number three receiver. Mm. And I just I didn't see the wisdom of that. They've been active. I don't know that they've been wise in how they've been active. And they certainly, to me, are at best the third te best team in that division, even though I'm, I'm not thrilled by the charges either. Uh, and nowhere near what Kansas City is. Well, you know, Kansas City is the defending champion. Uh, terrific Super Bowl. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, most people thought the Eagles were going to win the game. I mean, I picked the Eagles to win the game, uh, but they didn't. Uh, Kansas City, uh, Philadelphia, who's got the best shot to get back to the big game? I actually think they both do. And here's why. Kansas City is in a tougher conference, but to me, right. Mahomes is at the peak of his skills. Travis Kelsey still is. They've, they've added to the defense. They've helped the defense a bit uh, in the offseason. I think they may still do some more of that. Um, the offensive line, they lost their left tackle. That, that's going to be interesting to see if Juwan Taylor, who they brought in to replace Orlando Brown Jr., will be as good as Brown was last year. Um Mahomes makes every weapon on that team even more dangerous. And Howard, we've seen quarterbacks through the years who've done that. Uh, very few who've done it the way Mahomes can. So, but Kansas City's got Cincinnati, Buffalo, 
um, in the way. Um, there are a lot of people who think that um, uh, uh, Pittsburgh is going to be a rising team this year uh, after the way they finished last year. Um, you know, Jacksonville's on the rise. In the, in the NFC, I still think the Eagles are the best team. I, uh, San Francisco's got that great defense, but you have no idea what's going to happen at quarterback there um, with the injuries to uh, uh, the two young guys. And then bringing in Sam Darnold really struck me as uh, strange because I think they needed to bring in a, a veteran mentor and not a guy who's really not done much in his career. So I think both teams could be back uh, in the Super Bowl. Let's stay in the NFC. Uh, how much of an impact is Derek Carr going to make in New Orleans? He's the best quarterback in that division right now. <laughs> I don't know you need to say more. Um, when you look at, you know, Carolina's going to draft a quarterback, um, may start Andy Dalton, but they'll draft either C.J. Stroud or um, Bryce Young. Um, Atlanta's going to go, it looks like, with Desmond Ritter, who I actually like, but, you know, he's not on Carr's level. And who knows in Tampa, unless uh, our buddy, Mr. 45-year-old, Brady uh, comes out of retirement and, and I don't think that's happening. So I think it'll have a big impact. Um, I thought it's an, I think it's a nice fit. They brought back Michael Thomas. You know, the one problem they could have there is whether Alvin Kamara winds up in jail. Um, and, and it is possible. And um, that could, you know, be very damaging to their, um, to their uh, halfback uh, and running back core. So, um, it's not a very good division, and right now I'd see New Orleans probably the best team in it. Let's talk about two divisions, uh, both in the East, the AFC and the NFC East. Uh, let's assume the Rodgers deal gets done. Um, Buffalo is the – I'm, I'm going to use this in the form of a question. Buffalo is the best team in the division still? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's even that close. I think the Jets have a shot at being the second best. The Jets also have a shot at being the fourth best. So um, uh, I think Buffalo is clearly the top team in that division and one of the top teams in the league. They're one of the four best teams in the league. I think Miami has done a lot to improve themselves. I, I really do. I think that they're – look, you can joke about Tom Brady coming to Miami, uh, and who knows if Tua is going to be uh, physically ready to, to, to take over and lead, lead the Dolphins, but – I think it's an intriguing division. Um, I don't know. In the in the NFC East, the Giants have improved some. The Eagles are still the team to beat. The Dallas Cowboys, in my mind, are the biggest question mark in that division. Yeah, that, Dallas is always a question mark because when it gets to the playoffs, uh, it underachieves, basically. Uh, I know Dallas won a playoff game this past uh, winter, but um, – I, I just wonder about, uh, I mean, I like Dak Prescott, but I'm not sure he's a championship quarterback. Um, I like their, their defense, but their defense also can be very inconsistent at times. Um, there's not a lot of balance on that team to me. Um, I don't think they're in the class of the Eagles. Um, and I could see the Giants surpassing them too. And I would not, I would not ignore Washington. Uh, I think Washington has improved its, um, its talent base. I think Ron Rivera is a terrific coach. The issue there is if the team gets sold, if it doesn't get sold, there's so many distractions there. You think Dallas has distractions. Look at the distractions that uh, the commanders have. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Dan Snyder is is up to his rear end and alligators. He's He's got a lot of things to worry about. Interesting to note that Magic Johnson 
uh, is uh, trying to get a piece of that team, yeah. which will be interesting, which means they'll fast break a lot. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, the state of the NFL right now uh, is extremely high. Roger Goodell, uh, I think, I don't know if he signed the contract. Uh, Not yet. Not yet, yeah. Uh, but uh, you got to feel good for Roger Goodell. I mean, he, he's got... He's got this league on autopilot right now, so yeah, I'm not sure how hard, how, how much of a tough task this is for him. But hey, he's getting it done. Good for him. I think he's been a fantastic commissioner. I know that um, there have been issues that have happened with the league um, off the field that he's had to deal with, and not always dealt with them um, appropriately. But then I think fixed many of the uh, errors that may have been made. But the thing about Goodell is. He's done exactly what the 32 owners want mm-hmm. and not only uh, stabilized the league, but it has grown exponentially. And, you know, those owners was the first thing they want to do. I know they all say they want to win the Lombardi trophy, but they want to make money. They're owners. Sure. And Goodell has been uh, a guiding light for them in virtually every area. And uh, I think that's why uh, he'll probably stick around another four or five years with this new contract extension. Do you think, uh, where, where do you see Ezekiel Elliott going? Uh, it's not, not a surprise that he's no longer in Dallas. Look, Pollard's a heck of a running back, and he's more versatile. Uh, but Elliott's going to land somewhere. you got to believe that. And look, I joked before about the Jets, um, but I think I agree with you. I think they're set uh, with three good running backs. I don't think they need to go in that direction. I could see him winding up in Seattle. Uh, I could see Elliott winding up in Tampa. Um some of the teams that uh, don't have deep backfields. I'm not sure he's an every down back anymore. He can be a guy for three or four games like that. Um, but I, he's a terrific blocker uh, in pass protection. And I think that will help him land the job. I think he'll get an incentive laden contract, not a big, um, uh, big money up front. And uh, I do think he'll be in the league next year, but um, I think it's going to be with a team that is a little thin in the backfield right now. He's Barry Wilner from the Associated Press covering the NFL. Uh, I don't usually like to go and find out, you know, uh, shopping guys' jobs, but give me three coaches you think are on the hot seat. They have to win, and they have to win now. Wow. <laughs> um, wow, that's that's a good one. You know, I'd, I'd say, well, when you say win, win how much? I mean, go how far? Well, just get it to the playoffs. Uh, well, you know, one guy would point to his Belichick, but he's not going to be in any sort of trouble. But, you right. know, with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick's been a losing coach, basically. And um, he's not in any sort of trouble. But I do think that um, they're getting very antsy up in New England because they've been spoiled by Tom Brady and everything he achieved. So, you know, th- th- that's an interesting dynamic there now. Um, I would think that... Um, Maybe the coach of the Chargers might be um, on the hot seat if that team doesn't get into the playoffs and, and do something. That would be one. Certainly Stefanski and Cleveland, if they don't make some sort of a turnaround, um, could, you know, get pressured quite a bit. Um, so, that you know, th- there's three guys that, you know, are on the hot seat, although one of them is not going to get burned. <laughs> no, right. I know I would agree with that. I'm going to throw a name at you. Pete Carroll. No, I don't think so. I think okay. Pete will he'll retire when he wants to retire. And I think he did one of his best coaching jobs last season. Well, with, without without his quarterback. 
who now is in Denver. Uh, look, I, I think where we are right now, getting ready for the draft, uh, you mentioned that there's a few quarterbacks available, Stroud from Ohio State, uh, Young from Alabama. The one reservation I have about Young is uh, he's his size. Uh, that's that's of concern to me. I mean, I think he was a good quarterback at Alabama, but uh, I don't know how many hits he's going to be able to take. Well, I spoke to Bill Polian yesterday about a bunch of these quarterbacks, and he loves Bryce Young, thinks that it could be a similar to Drew Brees in the way he plays the game and the success he might have. He is concerned a bit about the height, but he thinks that if Young was, you know, six one instead of five ten, that he'd be clearly the number one pick in this draft. And yeah. I think he will be the number one pick. I think that's where Carolina's gonna go. You mentioned Bill Poley, and that reminds me. Uh, I, I'm going to say it was 1998. Uh, Peyton Manning uh, came out, was a rookie that year. And Indianapolis came into uh, Metropolitan St- uh, MetLife Stadium. I guess then it was still Giant Stadium, maybe. Right. And played the Jets. And I was broadcasting the Jets games. And I see Bill at halftime. And I went over to him and I said, what was the one thing that you found in drafting Peyton Manning over the other guy? And you know what I'm talking about, the other quarterback. I just went blank. Uh, Ryan yeah. Who? And what was Bill's answer? Uh, he said, I had dinner with each of them once. And I, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> well, Bill used to say that when they brought in Peyton, Peyton was interviewing them instead of them interviewing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, It's a funny world, the National Football League. Barry, great information. Appreciate the insight. Uh, enjoy the rest of your offseason. You stay safe. All right, you too, Howard. Thank you. He's Barry Wilner of the Associated Press. Got a lot of info for a long time covering the National Football League. I'm going to be very intrigued with uh, with what happens, particularly as it relates to the Jets once uh, Aaron Rodgers is uh, is in the fold and ready to rock and roll. I think it's terribly important that he gets into uh, – the, the uh, into camp as soon as possible. I think it's important for every other player on that roster to look at him knowing he's there, uh, to know that uh, they can lean on him for advice because he's got a wealth of information. So there's, there's no question in my mind that Aaron Rodgers can do the job. Uh, I might take uh, a question. The one thing that Barry said that Buffalo, while the best team in the AFC East, I think the Jets are going to be better than people think. I really do. Their defense is unquestionable. They have the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Uh, I I think this team has got a lot of uh, excitement. They're going to be jacked up beyond belief to play with an Aaron Rodgers and the other players that are involved. They got to fix that offensive line a little bit. But after that, their points and positions of need uh, are not a question. Defense, we've already mentioned. Running backs are solid wide receivers, and they may not be done, uh, but they've got to deal with that offensive line to protect Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers has a great history of staying staying healthy. Uh, they got to keep him upright, no question about it. I'm going to shift gears and get away from the National Football League and talk about a guy that I was fortunate to be around who passed away the other day. He is Willis Reed, the perennial captain of the New York Knicks. Uh, I knew Willis 
uh, and associated with him and worked with him when he was the general manager and then eventually coached the Nets uh, after they fired Dave Wall and before they brought in Bill Fitch. Willis Reed is one of the greatest individuals I have ever been around in my broadcasting career. Uh, great player, better man. A uh, guy that always had a smile on his face no matter where you saw him. Uh, I'll give you a story. <clears throat> Excuse me. When he was coaching the Nets, we go to Indianapolis. And they have a famous restaurant called St. Elmo's. It's a steak restaurant. And they also feature a shrimp cocktail as an appetizer. But the intrigue about their shrimp cocktail is the cocktail sauce. So Willis told me to order the, uh, the shrimp cocktail as an appetizer, and I did. And he said, now dip that shrimp into that sauce and take a good healthy bite. I should have known something was up, but I didn't. I took a bite and I thought my ears were going to blow off. The sauce was so so hot. <laughs> and the, the more I, that I reacted, the more he laughed. And, and, and I, I never forgot that. Uh, you know, look, was it a practical joke? No, I mean, you got to be able to take that kind of cocktail sauce. Uh, I wasn't able to do it, but the shrimp was meaty and it was terrific. And the steak restaurant was great. Willis Reed, we all remember him from May 8th, 1970. That was the day that the Knicks played the Lakers in game seven of the NBA finals. Two games before Willis went down, with a, with a leg injury. He didn't play in game six. The Lakers won. So they come into Madison Square Garden, all tied at three games apiece. Willis walked from the locker room out to the Madison Square Garden floor. And everybody, 19,000 and change, cheered as Willis came out. Meanwhile, at the other end of the court, the Lakers, Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and the rest watched every single move Willis made. He took off his sweats, went out to the court, went to the foul line, had a ball, took a jump shot, made it, took another jump shot, made it. The Lakers went back to doing what they were doing. When the game started, the first two shots that Willis took, he made. Now, he didn't score a lot of points. I don't know what the exact number is. That was Clyde Frazier's day. Frazier came very close to a triple-double, uh, led by 36 points. Also had 12 assists and, I believe, eight rebounds. Clyde Frazier was the star of that game and the Nick championship. But when you ask people about the NBA championship in 1970, the first thing they're going to think about is Willis Reed slowly coming out onto the court and playing in that game. That's all they'll talk about. Even though Walt Frazier was the star of the game. And if you talk to Walt, Walt, as classy a guy as he is, he will tell you that Willis Reed was their inspirational leader. He was their captain. He was a man that was made for the title. Traveling with Willis Reed that year with the Nets, I had more interesting conversations with Willis, uh, became very fond of him as a guy, as a man that, look, 
<laughs> I grew up in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn as a Knicks fan. Back in the days of Richie Guerin and Carl Barilla. I mean, <laughs> I mean Vince, Vince Barilla and Carl Braun, Sweetwater Clifton, and like that when I was a little boy. But when Willis came along, I knew the Knicks were going to be better. And then traveling with him that year with the Nets, it got to a point where uh, he, he was like, how can I best describe it? He was a classy individual. Uh, his wife was very nice. Uh, I'll give you a story. Uh, the Nets go out to the West Coast. And they had not won a West Coast trip, meaning if they played five games in the West Coast, they didn't win more than they lost in 15 years. And they started out by playing uh, a very good Seattle team that had Xavier McDaniel and Tom Chambers, really a good squad. And so I had asked Willis a couple of days before if it was okay if my wife came on the trip. And he said, clear it with uh, Bob Cassiola, who was the president of the Nets, and I'm okay with it. So I went to Bob, who hired me, and I asked him. He said, if you get the clearance from Willis, it's okay with me. Fine. Long story short, she came on the trip. We go to Seattle first. The Nets hadn't beaten Seattle in like 15 years in Seattle. They beat him. Shockingly so, but they beat him. Earlier that day, my wife and I went to uh, Pike's Market in Seattle. And they, you know, everybody knows about the guys throwing the fish in the market and so on. They also have an arts and crafts section of the building. We went in there and we saw uh, a display of hands in prayer made from the ashes of uh, Mount Wilson that had erupted. And we bought three of them to give us gifts. So when we left our hotel room to get to the team bus, I said to my wife, I said, you know what, let's give one of those to Willis as thank you for letting you come on the trip. He said, great. We gave it to Willis, he appreciated it, and he put it in his jacket pocket. And let's go out and they beat Seattle. We get on the team bus. Willis gets on the bus. He comes right over to my wife and he says, thank you for the gift. This brought us good luck and this is the reason why we won. And I thought that was very nice. Of the remaining four games, the Nets wound up winning two more. So they won three of the five games on the West Coast trip for the first time, winning a West Coast trip in 15 years. That was a big deal. And it was a feather in Willis's cap. I've met a lot of great people in my career in broadcasting. People that I never forgot. People that I still stay in touch with today. Bill Parcells comes to mind, former coach of the Jets and the Giants. And we still stay in touch. The late Chuck Daly, Hall of Fame coach. When he was a coach of the Nets, I really learned a lot from being around him. The great Pelé. When I was involved with the New York Cosmos in the North American Soccer League, playing games at Giant Stadium, and Pelé at the age of 36 made everybody remember who he really was, the greatest of all time. 
and Pele recently passed away. Muhammad Ali, my first year in broadcasting. I interviewed Muhammad Ali at a sickle cell anemia benefit at Trenton High School in Trenton, New Jersey, and did an interview with him in an air-conditioned trailer, which we needed because it was 92 degrees. And Ali, I asked him, I said, is sickle cell the single biggest killer of Black people? He said, no, ignorance is. And I sat back in my chair. I'm less than a year in the business. How do I come back from that? And I came back with a question and so on. But Ali knew that I was new in the business, and he didn't take advantage of it. He showed me respect, and that's all you want. So when you think of people that have crossed your path and made an impact, Ali, Pele, Parcells, Daly, Willis Reed, one more. A guy named Daniel James Jr., who you may not know. He was the highest ranking black officer in military history. And when I was in the United States Air Force, he was my wing commander at Wheelis Air Base in Tripoli, Libya. And we became friendly. Now, you're not going to become close personal friends. This is when he was a colonel. He was the wing commander. I'm not going to become best friends with the wing commander. But he came into my studio one morning when I was doing a, a record show, a disc jockey show, and asked me to help him. He wanted to record. He had jazz albums, and he wanted to put them on tape, and I showed him how to do it. And we became friendly from that point. And even after I got out of the service, I remained in touch with uh, General James. So the people that have crossed my paths are historic in many ways. But Willis Reed clearly belongs in that company. I thought Willis Reed was a great individual, great player, great individual, great person. And he treated everybody with respect. He shall be missed. Rest in peace, my friend, Willis Reed. I'm Howard David. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live as we have taken a bite of the Big Apple. You stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.